Welcome to the Tournament Poker Edge podcast, brought to you by TournamentPokerEdge.com, the only podcast dedicated exclusively to tournament poker strategy. And now, here are your hosts, Ron Fez Buddy and Killing Bird. Welcome to the Tournament Poker Edge podcast. Killing Bird here with you, and as always, my co-host, Ron Fez. Buddy, how are you doing today? Good, buddy. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm, uh, I'm just getting stoked. We're about one week away from our trip to Atlantic City, and uh, looking forward to seeing you and, and the rest of the TPE crew up there. That'll be fun times. Uh, I can't wait. I can't wait. I'm looking forward to the tournaments and the partying. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I haven't seen Casey since the summer. Yeah. I haven't seen... Well, really, I haven't seen any... I'm trying to think if I've seen any of you guys since the summer. Uh, I don't think we've. No, I don't think. I don't think we have. I I had dinner last night with with Halo Wax, which was which is cool. So um, he might join us. Um, but I know we have a lot of um, TP pros are going to be there as well as a bunch of members. So um, looking forward to that. And if any members do plan on coming to the um, to the series, the World Series Poker Circuit at Harris and AC next week, let us know because we're buying breakfast before day one B. Um, the Saturday, uh, we're going to have a little TPE focus group. We want to hear from our members, what they love, what they don't love, what we could do better, what we're doing great. Um, we're always looking to improve the site. And so this is an opportunity to not only tell us that, but get to meet the pros as well. Um, not, yeah. we can't, I will never confirm or deny, deny which, which pros are, are there because <laughs> they're poker pros and <laughs> yeah. you can't ever pin them down on, on things. No. But I think we're going to have a good roster there. Um, yeah, I think it'll be fun. It'll be good to get, like you said, get that feedback from the members and, and hear what they're thinking and just, you know, find ways to make the site even better. Yeah, so. absolutely. How are things going otherwise? Cool. Uh, not too bad. I actually haven't been playing too much. Um, but just been busy with life, I guess, in general. Yeah. Um, so I haven't, haven't got to play a ton, but I've uh, been spending a lot of time in the forums and stuff like that, just trying to keep up with people's success. And uh, it's been a you know fun couple of weeks. Lots of members making lots of final tables, so that's been cool. Yeah, I can't I can't speak to like this with real data, but I get a sense that February is a is a quiet poker month. And I've noticed that from traffic on TP, not 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 necessarily in the forums, but just um, the tournaments themselves. Uh, I guess some of the series are you know no big series running right now. Um, right. So I think a lot of people ease up in, in January and February a little bit, whereas January actually seems pretty busy to me. I don't know. Yeah, and maybe it's because so many people take such a big break, like, you know, take a lot of time off around Thanksgiving and Christmas, and then they go real hard in January. I, I, I think <laughs> I think that's probably true. Once again, I have zero data to, to back that up, but... Yeah. Um, yeah, so... Cool. What can you do? Have you been playing much? Uh, I have not been playing much. A lot of my free time, I think I said this in the last podcast, has been actually working on some TPE 2.0 stuff. So um, yeah. I have not been playing as much as I had been, but I think I'm going to put some sessions in this week to prepare for um, the WSOPC. Yeah. Uh, well, we're just saving up our run good. <laughs> we we could be saving up our run bad. 
Yeah. <laughs> God knows we got enough of it already. So. Uh, no whining. No whining about oh. bad beats on this podcast. My bad. My bad. <laughs> um, well, cool. So, yeah, so we, uh, I am excited about the show today, yes. that's for sure, because uh, we're, we're going to bring in um, Ben Warrington, uh, Kid Cardiff 6, and, um, and Big Dog Pocket 5 to talk about uh, some hands from the series, which is running on the site right now, which has been hugely popular. Yeah. You want to talk a little bit about a little bit about what that's all about? Yeah. Um, so for those who are not members um, or the, those members who haven't been to the site for a couple of days, uh, we are running a series right now with uh, Ben Warrington, Kid Carter 6, and Casey Jarzebeck, where they both made um, deep run a deep run in the same tournament, the, the Poker Stars 109 rebuy. And we are lucky enough that they both turned on the recorder um, within this tournament and recorded independently. And then they, and so we, you know, we have a couple parts from Ben. He actually started recording at like the 100, 200 level, and Casey started at like the 500, 1000, or the 400, 800 level, I think. So we got a couple independent parts there because they're not, they're not at the same table. But then, um, I forget which level it is. I think around 1000, 500, 1000 or so, they get moved to the same table, and so, and they play pots against each other, and so we get to watch the video from their perspectives, their, you know, their whole cards their thought process and especially the hands that they're against each other. It's really interesting to see, you know, what they're thinking, how they're reading each other. Um, it's just, you know, it's like a really elevated game of chess in, in this particular case. Yeah. And, you know, and the, the level of thought on both end is really high. Um, and it's just great to see, you know, how they both approach these, these pots and what they think of, you know, the other person's doing and how they're assessing. Um, and it's a hugely popular series. It's one of the highest rated series we've had in, um, Ever, um, and it's a long series. It's ten parts because we have two people recording. <laughs> and right. A lot of overla- you know, there's, there's, there's some overlap, but there's a lot of parts. There's not. So, um, so that's running right now, and and you know, it's. I think you know, for me, it's one of the best series that that we've run in a while. So. Yeah. Uh, and very impressive editing job, by the way, as well. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I won't tell you how much time I've spent editing. <laughs> I can only imagine. <laughs> it's, it's been a lot of work, but it was worth it. <laughs> so yeah. All for you, TPE. I did it all for you. That's right. <laughs> for your interviewing picture. Well, you know, I could have just let him run. Um, you know, here's Ben's part. Here's Casey's part. But I thought it'd be better if we tried to get back to back with their hands, right, as, as much mm-hmm. as possible. So if we see a hand where they're evolved, um, rather than wait till the next part to see how, you know, Ben would have played it, um, we'll see Casey's part and then we'll go right to Ben's view and see how, yeah. how, how Ben played it. So it's been editing wise a lot of work, but, for, you know, for the product perspective, it's it's definitely worth it. Yeah, yeah, I think it's super compelling, and we'll give uh, we'll give our listeners a little bit of a a taste of what it's been like um, when we bring those guys in here in a few minutes to uh, to talk about some of the hands. Right. So we got those guys on the podcast. We're going to talk about some of the hands that they um, that they played against each other, and but we'll start off. Uh, we'll kick off with a little bit of a interview of Ben since he's new to TPE. Yep. Relatively new, and he hasn't been on the podcast before. We we'll get a little bit of his background, and then we'll roll right into some hands you know, MTT strategy analysis, like we usually do. Yep, sounds like a plan. Cool. Cool. All right, well, let's take a quick break, and then we'll come back. We'll bring uh, Ben and Casey in, and we'll uh, we'll talk a little strategy on the Tournament Poker Edge podcast. Hey, MTTers. This is Casey, Big Dog Pocket Fives, Jarzebeck from TournamentPokerEdge.com. If you've been looking for a trading site dedicated exclusively to tournament poker, then look no further. Tournament Poker Edge is only $23.95 per month with no initial sign-up fee and we post a new training video every weekday. You also find poker-related articles, blogs, and very active strategy forums. 
We even offer you the ability to upload your own video for others to discuss. So head on over to TournamentPokerEdge.com and find out why it's quickly becoming the destination for tournament poker players looking to take their game to the next level. TournamentPokerEdge.com Hey everybody, welcome back to the Tournament Poker Edge podcast. Time to bring in Ben Warrington and Casey Jarzebeck, today's pros, for our strategy discussion. Welcome to the show, guys. What up? Hey, thanks. Hey guys, welcome, Ben. Welcome to the TPE podcast. First time. Yeah, it is. Thank you very much. Looking forward to it. Yeah, I mean, as I, uh, as I said... So Ben uh, gets three welcomes and I get one. <laughs> <laughs> the whole world already knows who you are. Yeah, exactly. And we'll, we'll make sure to say goodbye to you a bunch of times. Oh, <laughs> Uh, make up the numbers. <laughs> well, Ben is the shiny new toy, right? He's the new. He's the. He's the, he's the new guy. Casey, you've been around for years. Yeah, that's fine. Old news. Old news. <laughs> I I can dig it. <laughs> now, Ben. Um, I you know, very warm welcome to the podcast and to TP in general. Ben's had two series up so far, um, a solo series, and then as uh, Derek and I discussed in the, in the before we brought Ben on, um, this this series that he did, um, luckily, by accident, ended up uh, making a deep run with Casey in the 109 rebuy on PokerStars, um, has had some of the best feedback of any series that I've seen. Um, and it's been great to see the pots that they've gotten involved in together. And we're right in the thick of it right now. I think part seven just went up and, and there's some big pots they play with against each other. And, uh, and rave reviews for not only, obviously, Ben's a great player, but really great at explaining your thought process. So glad to have you on the TPE team. Welcome aboard. Thanks again. Yeah. Um, so, so Ben, I guess a good place to start is maybe to talk a little bit about your history, how you got into poker, when you started, and um, and, and maybe, you know, I know you've been playing for a few years. Uh, it'd be interesting to hear your thoughts on some of the differences between, you know, poker when you started and, and kind of the state of poker now. Okay, well, a bit about myself. Um, I got into poker around about 2004. Um, 2005, when there was a TV show on on UK television called Late Night Poker, mm-hmm. and and that got a lot of the actual pros from the UK um, kind of put poker on the map in, in in England kind of thing, and and I started playing at a site called Poker Room, and that was pretty much the biggest oh. site along with Party there. Yeah, I remember Poker Room. Um, yeah, back in like 2005. Were you playing like the five dollar um, tournaments or the ten dollar tournaments? I, mean, I was actually playing everything. I mean, yeah. I remember I even like satellited into this like 1K tournament, and it was like a 1500 starting stack with 10 minute levels. <laughs> Somehow cashed in like a min cash or something, and that was like awesome. So I just qualified for like a dollar or something. Um, and actually, then like a few series later, it was like the third one of those grand tournaments, and they actually figured out kind of how it ran. They made it like a 10k starting stack and, and like a two day event. And I remember I made the second day, and I I came sort of like 30th, and 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 that wasn't that wasn't too bad at all. I mean, I remember I was chip leader with 35 left or something. So it's one of those tournaments that's always going to stick through me for the rest because yeah. I took some crucial bad beats there. And I think that kind of um, I pretty much got deep in those tournaments just through without really know, knowing much about kind of a strategy and right. a thought process, more just about just general insight and and logic and a, and a lot of luck, I guess. Uh, and from there, I took a real interest in the game. Um, only when I went to university, then I actually started taking it a little bit more seriously. Spent a lot of time uh, kind of railing on Sundays, a lot of the big tournaments and people are going deep, and generally just kind of railing the best players and seeing what they were doing and how could I learn from them. 
Uh, I spoke to Annette Oberstrad a little bit, and she kind of helped me put a few things right and cr- kind of helped me see why why some of the hands I sent her were just ridiculously spewy, and, uh, and that really helped me. And, and also watching some, some judging videos uh, and reading the forums really helps. I think you've just got to dedicate a lot of time to it if you really want to get good at poker, and, and for that you've got to have a lot of interest in it and, and really want to succeed. So, Qu- Quick question for you, Ben. For, you talked about the poker on TV was what first got you interested in poker. So uh, obviously we're uh, cases in Canada where we're in the U.S., so I haven't seen much uh, British poker TV. Was I don't know if you've seen any U.S., but it's pretty, at least back then, and, and still to, you know, it's getting better, but to this day, poker on TV is pretty, you know, not detailed at, or as in-depth um, analysis as it is, you know, as we get in the training videos. Or, or oh, of course. Is it the same thing in the I U.K.? Mean, it, of course, but, you know, yeah. back then it was almost like, a little bit of a. It was just a good, made good viewing because yeah. because they explained actually how to how to play the game, and that was actually something that not a lot of people knew in the UK back back sort of seven eight years ago. Right. So, so would you say that there was like a there was a curve there, like like how far behind US players were? I mean, I, I think everyone's caught up, obviously. Helmuth on it, and that just made good viewing, and there was a lot of table talk, and Helmuth and the Devilfish kind of rivalry kind of started on these UK programs a little bit. That's um, interesting. Which go back a long way. So, how long do you, that you can learn? A, you can't really um, compare them to strategy videos, where of course uh, you're going to be you're going to be hearing for, uh, in-depth analysis from some professional poker players. But um, I suppose uh, it's a good way to get into poker in the first place. Is kind of watching the TV shows and, and learning actually the rules of the game to start with, and right. and, uh, and taking it from there. Really, I think it's generally accepted that, like, um, you know. For at least for four, four or five years ago, the UK, US was ahead of everyone, but I think everyone's you yeah. know pretty much assuming that everyone's caught up. Yeah. How, how when do you think that the UK caught up and everyone, you know, it became an equal playing field? Did that happen just in the last year, last three years? No, I, mean, felt that? I think because the, it's almost like an absolute figure. The amount of American players is, is so high. There's so many American players that, of course, like, in relative terms, the, the, you know, like the top percentage of players is going to be from America. Um, and I think that still is always going to be the case. Right. Uh, but we definitely have caught up in the last, yeah. say, two or three years when stuff like the EPT got really popular here in Europe, and and there was a lot more um, there was a lot more to offer on the European sites. And poker just generally kind of blew up a few years after. You know, it kind of in America it was like more like the moneymaker effect, and in Europe it was it kind of was like a secondary effect around about 2007-2008 right. that sort of time. Um, so definitely a few years behind, but. Uh, I think we definitely caught up quite a lot. And you're in Spain now, right? Yeah, I've lived in Spain for about two and a half years. And where are they in, in terms of poker progression? Um, well, when I first joined, I mean, I used to go and play cash games at the casino, and you know, something like five, ten. Be, there'd be just a load of old businessmen sitting down there, open raising to two hundred, and, and <laughs> knowing what they're doing. Um, now it's definitely it's definitely got better. There's quite a lot of young pros, and you definitely see kind of um, see kind of less. Older, older kind of businessmen playing. I think they've lost a lot of money doing it. Um, the level is def- definitely improving, but uh, it's not quite as widespread. I mean, kind of. I say to people over here, I'm a professional poker player, and they say, "Okay, and what else do you do?" And I'm like, you know, they don't. Yeah. It's not really a way of this. But there's definitely lots more young pros emerging. I have quite a few friends here from Spain, and and they're good players, but um, definitely still still need a few more years to catch up. Kind of, uh, kind of UK and, and the US. Uh, the live tournaments here are kind of pretty soft still, but 
Um, yeah, it's everywhere though. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> particularly soft over here in Spain, but uh, <laughs> the, field, the field sizes aren't actually quite as big just because of the general crisis. And yeah, right. I remember I played a tournament in Madrid that was like a full tilt series final, and some like three k euros buy-in, and there was like four hundred runners or something. Wow. Uh, and you just wouldn't get that now. Just people haven't got quite enough money outside of poker to be able to go and invest in that sort of money. And, right. Uh, and also the fields have got tougher. People have learned how to play generally. I mean, so yeah. Cool. Mm. And Sorry, go on. I was going to say, what about online, Ben? Uh, you obviously are one of the, oh, you know, yeah, one of our um, people who's fortunate to still be able to play online. And yeah. we can, I'm just wondering how the game has changed since the Americans have left the building. <laughs> well, my, my breakout score online was sort of 2009. I came second in a, in a scoop. It was a 50 read by six max. Uh, I had some mm. pretty sick players at the final table, like uh, Wes Menlo and Brock Parker, T. Soprano, that guy. Um, yeah. And yeah, it was generally way tougher back then than it is now. Um, the problem is that uh, you know, a lot of the countries like France and Italy are now segregated. So where, where are these, these were a lot of the weak spots in, in our tournaments back in 2009. Um, now, you know, they're all segregated and playing on their own networks. So right. It's kind of been like a, a Eastern European revolution where there's so many Russians and Romanians playing now. I, I don't know what kind of videos they're watching, but they're really, really taking aggression to new levels. Um, uh, after Black Friday, there was a period of about three or four months where the games were really, really soft. Uh, really, really soft at the scoop and stuff. Um, but what happened in turn then was the Americans... Um, the, the professional players relocated, right. whereas the fish, the American players who weren't professionals and just recreational players, obviously couldn't play then. So, so now what we're looking at is is the U.S. market is is, is just the professional players and, and none of the recreational players, which is which has really kind of affected, um, you know, it's really made it a little bit more difficult than it was before. Right. Uh, well, you may think there's no American players, but you know, there's so many guys now living in Canada, Mexico, and Malta and stuff that. Uh, you know, the majority have relocated by now. It just took a little bit of time. So when you, so then a question about your personal playing style. If you know, if, if you were to summarize it, how how would you summarize how you play? Would you, if someone asked you, would you say you're an aggressive player? Uh, tight, I think or, I have quite an image of being a pretty aggressive player and being able to be pretty capable. Um, I think in 2010 was my best year, and, and I generally, I think I, my game was a lot more a lot more aggressive then and. Uh, in terms of of trying to put the pressure on opponents, because because back then I think people weren't quite getting in as light as they are now, and mm-hmm. and, and now I'm finding that my four bets are getting shoved so, so much more often and so much more high percentage <laughs> than they were before. So I, what I'm trying to do is kind of kind of narrow my bluffing range a bit because I think I've given away in general kind of um, spewed off a lot of chips by kind of three bet four bet folding, and now I'm just kind of trying to open my value range a little bit more and. Uh, and try and three bet a little bit lighter and, 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 and go ahead and call the shove, which is obviously is a little bit more of a higher variance game because it means you're going you're gonna go to showdown. Right. Uh but at the same time I think that's just that's just what you've got to do right now, poker now, because people are getting in so light and there are so many aggressive players um trying to, you know, take take advantage of fold equity and stuff and um and I think the game's just much more much more difficult than it was kind of two years ago and, and that's probably the right strategy to play. So in summary to your question, I would say I'm playing a little, a little bit more tight, a little bit more straightforward, uh, kind of trying to be like a nit with tricks, play kind right. of tight, but have a few tricks on my sleeve, obviously, and, and try and make use of some good table conditions when, when I see them. Right. Mm, that's cool. Casey, do you, have you kind of seen the same thing in terms of 
the quality of play online. Like right after Black Friday, maybe it was softer, but it's kind of gotten tough again. Yeah, for sure. Ben makes some great points. I mean, the thing is, in the MTT world, everybody knows who the regulars are, and those guys are generally the better players. And at this point, exactly like he said, pretty much all of those guys have relocated now. So all the regular pros are playing where all the recreational people aren't. So it is a lot tougher right now, and variance has shot up through the roof. Mm -hmm. Um, I've had to make some adjustments to my game. I've had to bring down my aggression a little bit because I was always that super aggressive guy, but now there's so many people doing it that if you don't bring your ranges down a little bit, you're just going to end up spewing off chips too much. Right. Yeah. But yeah, post Black Friday, right after Black Friday, was awesome. It was yeah. the best two months of my life. I remember I would talk to you. You couldn't believe how how great it was. Yeah, <laughs> excited. Yeah, but that's definitely changed. Yeah, but hopefully it'll uh, they'll let us back in, and then you can have all us fish again. To, yeah, to that would be great. <laughs> Pretty hope they let France Nifty back in as well, because that's where a lot of the value was. Yeah. Yeah, back in those big fields. And, uh, yeah, I, I, well, I think Ben. I mean, I know you, you don't live here, but speaking for someone who lives in the U.S., the, even the people that were playing online are light years. You know, in the past year, two years, are light years ahead of the people who were afraid to put money online. So, if we can get a good regulated environment, then hopefully, you know, we could also play with other out of out of U.S. players. I think you'll see that it's the the the, the play would be even softer, at least for a while. I definitely yeah. agree with you there, yeah, definitely. Um, speaking of the US, do you, do you have any plans to come for the World Series? Have you played the World Series? I'm not, actually not quite sure if you've played the World Series or not. Or um, I played nature. the main event a few years ago. Uh-huh. when I, was, I wasn't actually a, a pro then. I was still a student. I qualified, and, and I had a really good time. But I would say, looking back then, I really wasn't a particularly good player. Um, I think every year, you, maybe you go back and say, last year I wasn't a good player, but yeah. I really... Yeah. I was really kind of recreational player back in 2000, 2008 it was, and um, I've kind of been enjoying the summers out here in Spain, I mean it's kind of hard to leave to go to Vegas <laughs> for a month, and I live right on the beach here in Valencia, and I, I like to play a lot, of, I mean last year, I think 2010 it was, when I had my best my best years on, my best month online was in June and July, I shipped like 500k in, in tournaments online, and right. something around that figure in June and July, when everyone was in Vegas, Right. Um, but the problem is now that when everyone's in Vegas, because obviously there's Black Friday, all the tournament guarantees they drop. Yeah. So there's no value uh-huh. on playing online. Whereas you know, in 2010, uh, the tournament guarantees were all still the same, just that the, the fields were so much more softer. Right. So my, my, I really want to go to Vegas this year, but I want to do it properly. I've already been to play the main event. So if I come now, I want to go and go there for a good old month, month and a half and be able to play uh, and grind, you know, put in some decent volume, basically, because I think... Um, you, need, you need to be able to do that and, and play at least sort of 10, 15 live tournaments if you are going to make the trip over to Vegas rather than rather right. than just going and, and playing the main event because that, that's something I've already done. Would you um, play any um, any non-Hold'em events or do you focus strictly on Hold'em? Um, I, I've never actually played a non-Hold'em event live. Right. Like, I've played a lot, of it, a lot of the online ones and I, I do, I think that I have um, some good some good insight into, into the 8 game and uh, that's probably my favourite. I think I do enjoy horse, but I do prefer eight game because it's a little bit more exciting. There's a few more in Pot Limit Omaha, No Limit Hold'em, a few more variants that I think I'm, I'm a little bit stronger at. Uh, the horse is more focused, is, is totally focused on limit games, which I find uh, I'm a little bit less experienced in. Uh, but I think a great way to get experience would be to go and play these, these live events and 
I'd probably start a, kind of a small buy-in, like a I don't know, 1K or 2K. I, I wouldn't go jump into, straight into the Players' Championship or anything like that, but uh, right. I want to get a bit of experience first. And yeah, it's definitely something I'm interested in. Um, how, how soft are those sort of games over there? I'm, I'm guessing they're pretty tough, right? I'll defer to Casey because I've only played Hold'em events. Yeah, that's the problem when you're in the World Series is lots of businessmen and stuff like that. They'll come and they'll throw a dime down or 1500 and play the, the uh, no-limit events. But when you get into the PLOs and the eight games and stuff like that, you get into a lot of specialists. So it, it is a little bit tougher than, like, say, just a, a 1500 no-limit. You're going to find a lot softer spots. Yeah, that's, that's what I imagined, yeah. Cool. Well, we, um, you know, we have the TPE house. Um, you know, we do a TPE live podcast a couple times a week. So we definitely, if you do come, we definitely have to get, get together. And, and Yeah, that'd be great. I'd really love to. And um, also the same with Europe. I mean, uh, you know, if you guys are ever in Europe for the EPT or qualify for a live event of that, would be great because that's kind of my focus this year is going and playing a lot of the tournaments on that circuit there and, and trying to get a big result in the live arena. I think that's where most of the value is right now for um, compared to online. As we're talking about the online tournaments are much are kind of much uh, much more difficult than the live ones now. And, how does your uh, how does your game change for live? I mean, is it? I mean, obviously, I know there's huge differences. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've I had my breakout score in live like 2008, so I think more a lot of the online guys just played online and sat kind of behind a computer. I was doing both of the both of the time for a long time, mm-hmm. so I think my my live game kind of my online game translates translates pretty well to live games just because I've I've kind of had a lot of experience in it. Um, I think. As an online guy, it definitely takes like a year or two to actually understand how live tournaments work, and yeah. you can't just staff off with like four bet Jack Ten suits all in because there's there's just so much more kind of softer spots to to look for than than, than kind of good spots to uh, to four bet bluff. It's much more a case of just staying patient and try and get value from your hands. Uh, those long tournaments that go on, for, you know, the EPTs go on for four or five days, so you really do have so much time then. And you've just basically got to, got to stay patient and, and, and keep yourself occupied. If you're going to get bored, because obviously live poker, it can be boring. Um, yeah. You know, you've just got to keep yourself uh, in good shape and, and know, know exactly what you, want, what, what you want to do and what you want to achieve. And that's basically staying patient and, and looking for the right spots. And I think that's definitely differs to multi-tabling online, where you could put a, put a point across for, for getting your chips in there, you know, 100 big blinds with ace-king or something. I'd say in live poker... Um, that would be much more catastrophic, and um, especially when some of the some of the players are kind of around you aren't, aren't, aren't even on your thinking level. Right. Um, I mean, I played a tournament in France, the EPT Deauville, and there was you know 900 players and about 400 French players. Uh, and I think of those, probably only about 20 or 30 kind of actually only competent players. So right. Um, it's definitely is you have to look into the strategy very very differently for live poker, and it, and it does take a little bit of time to adapt. Um, and you just realise you just don't want to stack off too light, and you just just want to just want to stay patient. And uh, and I hope that that should be a good recipe for success, really. That's good advice. Cool. Well, should we uh, should we jump into some strategy here, Diego? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so as I mentioned earlier, the the series that's currently running with Ben and Casey uh, deep in the 109 rebuy. Um, we're currently at, I know everyone downloads this at different times. Uh, Today, they're on part seven, um, and I think they moved to the same table around part five. Um, so the first couple of parts were Ben by himself, um, then because he started recording a little earlier in the tournament than Casey did. Um, and then we had a, a part uh, with Casey by himself, and then they're, they're together. Um, and I'm gonna, the first hand I'm going to pull from this, uh, this series 
is actually a hand that Casey plays by himself, but um, it's from part five. It's about 11 minutes into the, the video. And the reason I pull this is because it um, Casey does, you know, plays his hand in an unorthodox way. Um, and and I think and it brought up a really good conversation within the thread around. Um, you could actually read it on the, the video's page um, around, you know, taking finding spots and and not just playing ABC and, and Casey's approach to the game from a, sort of a, a mental and a strategic perspective. So um, so this is a hand 11 minutes in Casey to start the hand. Let's see. She starts the hand actually with 117 K. They're 82 K deep because um, so. Yeah. Casey's in the uh, the cutoff. Um, there's a player mind trick you. In We're only seven handed too. Uh, that you're you're eight handed actually. Okay, eight handed. You're, you're eight handed, yeah. right? So blinds are one thousand, two thousand with a two hundred ante. Um, it's folded to mind trick you. Um, uh, in the blinds, just you know, so people know Chow Pimenta is in the in the small blind and Tomif GSD or is in the big blind. I think they're both regulars, right? I know Chow yeah. is a regular. I'm not, yeah, they both are regulars. Yeah, so so um so they're capable obviously of doing things. Um. And it's folded to Mind Trick You, who in the cutoff with actually had 87k to start. He makes it 5k from the 1k, 2k. So Casey, first off, um, had you been at the table with Mind Trick You much? Do you did you have a read on him at this point? Is he a known player to you, or? Yeah, no? I played with him um, probably for a good hour, hour and a half before uh, moving to that table. Okay. Um, and then I moved away from him, and then I moved back. Okay. Okay. Well, so he makes it 5k at 1k, 2k. And Casey, you make it eight point four seven five. So you make—is that just clicking it back right there? Um, it was not quite clicking it back, but I bet I three bet really, really, really small for a few reasons. One, I thought it would look—you know—it would make my hand look really, really scary, and I'm just trying to get some more value in the pot. Uh -huh. Two, if he does four bet, um, we're still rather deep, and I can still, you know, flat in position and just try and outplay him. Right. Um, where if I three bet more, obviously his four bet's going to be way more, and it's just going to get ugly. And the fact that I did three bet so small was really key as the pot plays out because he gets really, 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 really close to pot committed. Yeah. And uh, so the sizing was really key here. So I'm glad I did three bet so small. Now I think the first thing that people brought up, and and what I you know love to hear you talk about is. I mean, obviously your cards don't matter here, right? I, you're, you're not doing this because of this, the strength of your hand. It's Yeah, that it's, was one yeah. of the comments in the forums, like, you know, I would never play queen six like this. And, right. you know, as a given rule, I don't play queen six like that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm not, I'm not trying to teach people that next time they have queen six offsuit, it's a great spot to four bet just for, you know, or, you know going crazy just to go crazy. But it's just about the spot, you know. Right. I felt like he was kind of an aggressive player. I felt like if I was just to open that hand, there's a good chance I'm going to get three bet out of the small blind or the big blind. Mm -hmm. But with me, with him opening and me three betting, the small blind and big blind kind of need a hand at this point. Yeah, right. So I knew I could play a pot with this guy in position. Um, I had noticed that he wasn't doing a lot of just stuffing. So I thought that he would probably just, if anything, flat my three bet. He does go ahead and four bet <laughs> Uh, at right. the time, I thought he would just three bet, and I would be in position, and I could evaluate everything. Right. So it just seemed like a good spot for me to go ahead and pick up a resteal here. Right, and, and I think everything you just said there was so dependent on what you you know your read on this player, the situation that's at hand, and not obviously about the cards. And I think that's what I you know I think we all need to pick up from a hand like this is that you can make situations occur if you're paying attention and are able to form 
reads around players and, and spot those situations. It's not necessarily about the cards, which I think is what people were initially reacting to when they, when they saw you play the hand this way. <laughs> um, right. Yeah. Like, uh, like I said to, to you know, like uh, I've said many times to people is they're like, oh, I have ace nine here. I'm going to three bet. And I'm like, OK, that's fine. But just so you know, you're folding to a five bet. So you're like you can three bet there with seven two offsuit right. with the same exactly. profitability. Like it, your hand doesn't matter. Like you're you're making a play to make a play. Right. Right. So you're either kind of you know, as long as you've got kind of a purpose, you're either three betting for value or three betting as a bluff. Right. Uh, and I think it's great. Your three bets particularly great because he is going to flat so often, and he is yeah. going to check fold to so many flops, and you're just going to be, you're going to be kind of chipping up so well. And I think even when the flop does come ace high, I think that's kind of going to be most of your range perhaps. So, right. you know, if you do smack the flop in the face with queen six suits, then he's really going to put you in the hand. I think he's going to check fold to just like ninety percent of flops, and and maybe even if he does check call two streets, he's probably going to give you credit for a big hand on the river. And it's kind yep. of how it played out a little bit, even though it was kind of reversed. Like he took the lead with the hand, and you just you just kept flatting him, like calling him, calling him, and and you really did polarize your range to such a strong hand there. Yeah, so I mean, I even noticed that. Like, I don't watch many of the videos, but I noticed that you watched it, and you were actually watching this hand and saying, "We have to put Big Dog on a really strong hand yeah, here." Yeah, I mean, and, really. And that's what my line dictated. Right. So you know, like there was there was some method to my madness. Now, granted, sometimes that stuff doesn't work, and you end up looking kind of foolish. But I mean, sometimes you need to make huge moves like that to accumulate chips. Yep. Because I think definitely. Yeah. It was a huge pot. I think this gave me the chip lead, and right after that, I think you own me in a few pots, and I get really really short. I get down to like 15 big blinds. If I don't play this particular hand this way, I'm out. Yeah, I, I bust the tournament. Now, what about the depth of your stacks here, Casey? Um, like I said, it was 1K, 2K to uh, blinds, and he had 87K to start. So is there anything there? Is that like a sweet spot for something like this? Is would it, If he was in the 30 big blind range, would you have not touched this type of spot? Like, what, yeah, what, the 30 big blind range, it would have been a lot harder for me to flat his 4-bet, even mm -hmm. though you know, like I did 3-bet real small, so his 4-bet wasn't that much. But then it, it would have got to the point where if he does continue, he's almost pot committed. Right. So I'd say 40 minimum, but it's like not a sweet spot. I like 40 to 10,000 big blinds. <laughs> All right. Well, actually, you mentioned what he did next, so let, let's 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 continue then. Um, you made it 84.75. Uh, he makes it. He 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 re raises you. Um, he four bets you to 18,000, um, which leaves him with 69.70k pretty much behind. Um, and then I believe you just. I'm letting the hand play. I think you just flat here. Um, yeah. yeah, you just flat. Okay. So then the flop comes down. Um, four two two. Uh, with two hearts, and he now let me see here. What was the pot? The pot was. I think the pot was like forty k. Yeah, the pot was forty k, and he makes it twenty k. Right. Um, and then you just flat here, right? Yeah. Right. So, um, <clears throat> so what are you thinking now? Uh, well, the reason I, the the reason I just flat is a I have position here, and if he has something like ace king or something like that, and he feels like I'm just making a move with, like, 7-7 seven, seven because I like this flop. I feel like he might stack off with Ace-King, so I definitely don't want to do that. Right. But if he has a hand like that and I flat, he's probably going to slow down on the turn because my my range is starting to get polarized to a fairly strong hand. So now, wait, wait, with 40K in the pot, nearly 40K in the pot pre-flop, and he makes it 20K, are we assuming that he's C-betting 100% of his range here? Uh, that's what I was assuming. Okay, right. Yeah, I'd say so. Right, so then you flat because you believe that 
he doesn't always have a main hand here. He's you know he's got ace king or maybe ace queen a bunch of times, and you can call and see what he does in the turn and, and either let go or or take it away. Right. Okay. Cool. All right. Well, I think that's uh that's exactly the way it plays out. And the flop, uh, the turn comes out five of spades. So now we got four of hearts, two of hearts, two of spades, five of spades. So we got you know we have no no made flush draws, but we got no made flushes, but we have two draws and we have a, a real low wheel straight. But I, yeah. it's I think it's part of anyone's range here. I think the turn was actually pretty key because if Casey is kind of like representing aces here, which I think he is doing a good lot of time by kind of hood flatting the, the full bet pre, the turn's actually kind of a good card for him because the only the only wheel draw now is 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 actually going to be uh, drawing to to the wheel himself as he does have the aces. So it's a great card to just check back as a blank and then try and kind of under-rep then your hand. Yeah, uh, another reason I check back is, again, if he has some hand like ace-king or maybe uh, hearts or any kind of draw like that, he might just feel like there's too much value in the middle now and stack off. Right. And obviously I think I have him on a better hand than queen-six, even if it's king-ten. Yeah. Right. right. So I definitely am not trying to get the showdown on the turn. So I, I, when he did check to me, I had to decide, do I want to put my bluff in now or the river? And I decided it was much better just to hope for a really friendly river and then put my bluff out there. Right. Yeah, I think that definitely helped as well because it looked like you were just kind of maybe even trapping the turn a little bit. If you had a better turn, I think you might have got the pile even even if he even if you know even if he was kind of just ace high hand. Uh, I think by checking the turn, it really did kind of. Uh, tell the story as you wanted it to do, like, oh, I'm really, really strong here and I want to keep you in the hand, rather than bend right. the turn, he might have kind of smelt what you were doing there and, right. uh, and kind of been able to own you, but as it happened, he just checked the, you know, um, pretty much gave up from there, didn't he? Yeah, well, I think the pot size is also relevant here and the stack sizes, because there's 80k in the pot now, and he's got 50k left, so, you know, you do have everyone knows that there's just one more play here, right? So, right. so, so you, can, you can, like you said, dictate, is it going to be on the turn? Um, or if he's going to, like, what do, what do, you, do you think he ever leads into you on the river with air? That, that, you know, obviously you're going to give up if he, if he leads, but are you thinking that he's, he's, never, he's almost never going to bluff at it on the river? Or, and you could get a clear read at that point or, or not? I think it's definitely possible that if he does some, something like hearts and he figures it's the only way he can win the pot and he's hoping I was on maybe the same draw, right. he could lead the river. So it's definitely a possibility. But my line looks so strong, it's yeah. hard for him to decide to bluff the river. Right. I that's, feel yeah. like he's going to be bluffing there too often. I think that's the key there. Your line is so strong that he's probably never bluffing, so you could probably take it away. Almost, almost every time he has nothing, you you take it away. Basically, is what, right. is what it comes down to. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, okay, and so the river is another four. It's a four diamonds. So you know, there's two pair on board. Um, he checks, and you bet. I'm looking at what your bet size here. You I bet, think I bet like 35k because I'm thinking to myself, I'm gonna save 15k if he does call. Right, right. It's the same, right? 15. Yeah, because it's effectively the same. I'm folding if he shoves, even though you know, like. It's, I'm getting an absurd price, but I'm folding, and I save 15k if if he does call. Yeah, and it even looks a bit more valuey from your from your perspective. Right. right. If he was doing a hero call, you if you if you'd have just shoved him in the river, he might have hero called you more often than right than, than if you kind of bet a little bit less. I think in that spot. It was a really really key pot at that stage of the tournament. Yeah, because uh, he yeah. he did fold. You bet 35k, and now you have 160k at 1k 2k. 
Um, and I'm pretty sure. And and then the very next hand, Ben moves to your table, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and you Ben, you have 136k. So you 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 thought you were the chip leader um, <laughs> right, up, right up to that moment. Uh, actually, no, you were moved to Ben's table, and uh, and then he's there with 136k, and and Halfrick is there with 137, who's another well-known regular. Um, but Casey, now you have 160k based on on that hand. Uh, right. So yeah, it was really uh. Which was key because Ben actually owns me in a few pots, and I I do get down to like I think six like when I finally stuffed the king queen I get down to like sixteen big blinds. So if I don't play that particular hand, right, I I don't go as deep in this tournament as as yeah, no, I would. we had a I kind of we had a nice spot where I had aces and you had tens and we're both really deep. I think you know if you were kind of only had eighty k there or ninety k there, you probably could have could have quite comfortably got it in pre flop and you'd and you'd have you know you'd have been out the tournament. Definitely, um, and I, and that comes pretty quickly. Yeah, so mm-hmm. it's definitely significant. Yep, cool. Excellent, all right. So um, let's move on to the next hand of interest, um, and this is actually a hand that you guys play against each other. Um, it so is... I- this is uh in part, this is in part six um of the of the series. Uh it's about two minutes in. Um we're watching it from Ben's point of view and then a couple minutes later we watch it from Casey's point of view. Um but it's we're still at one K two K. Like I said, they basically just uh got the table together. Um I'm not sure exactly how it happened, but I think it, Ben accumulated a little bit more chips uh here. He's got hundred and sixty eight K now to start the hand, and Casey, you had 126. So you're around the same, but you lost a couple chips here or there or whatever. Um, that's uh, how I do it. That's how you do it. <laughs> uh, so so actually, um, Hit the Panda, uh, an, another uh, uh, TP video maker um, who used to make a lot of videos for us, is in the small blind. Ben is in the big blind. Casey is in the cutoff. And Casey makes a 42-45 from the cutoff, and Casey has queen nine suited here, so I think that's a you know pretty standard. Um, you can't make an argument against really opening there. Um, uh, and he makes it forty two forty five. Um, it folds to let's see here. This panda panda calls. Yep. And then I think you call as well. I think you just fly. I was actually really thinking about squeezing this hand because I mean I saw a raise from big dogs in late position, a call from the small blind, and yeah. I didn't think that. They hit the panda from the small blind was ever going to be flashing like a big hand there. And I right. thought that Casey's like, you know, there's a lot in the middle there I could be able to squeeze, but I knew that Casey could easily just mean click it back, and then I'm just like... <laughs> with ace five. I would away. never do such a thing. <laughs> well, you know, I open my blind with 6-2 off. I thought it was a thing, but I don't know if it was in a bet. So. That was the best. The first hand, the first video that they were at the same table... The first comment is, is Ben coming and saying, you opened my blind with 6-2 off. <laughs> it's, it's what, yeah, I, I was just letting the video play, and, and you, you basically, you, 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 t- you put your, your, your cursor in the raise box, you know, in the, the, the typing box there, and you, you, you type out a, a raise, and you start thinking about it. But, um, I, I can and see then you. I thought, well, actually, my hand probably plays just, just about okay, well enough to be able to just, just flat here. Right. And, and maybe, you know, I, I I just thought if, I, if I'm going to be free betting this hand, I'm going to be playing with fire a little bit with with big dogs and, and hit the panda behind me. Right. But what about playing this hand out of position against big dog now? Is it just that your hand is pretty much you you, you it's easy enough to play post? I mean, you do have an ace, and if you hit top pair, easy that's hand to play post. But um, I think was with aggressive players. You know, if I was to hit an ace there, and they're, they're, I was expecting the big dogs to be c betting 100% of the flops that came ace high, whether he had it or not. Right. Um. So I think 
we were deep enough then to be able to be, to be able to go into sort of check call mode there and uh, uh, whereas if I had kind of like 30 bigs there I, I probably wouldn't have played the hand because you're going to be like probably put to a decision for your whole stack much more often than right. if you're kind of like 60 or 70 big blinds deep uh, obviously ace 5 off doesn't play particularly great um, like post flop but I think in a three way part I've just I've got just about enough value there to complete and peel the flop not to mention the fact that, like, to my late position open, ace five off is more than likely the best hand. Right. Well, yeah. So there is some value in just flatting. Yeah, I guess what I struggle with there a little bit is that if you know if I do hit an ace, um, if a lot of money goes into the pot, there's a good chance that I'm going to have the worst ace there. Well, that's not true against aggressive players. Right. Not only that, it like something like that, an ace high flop gives an opportunity for an aggressive player like myself to do something really stupid and stack right. up. Right, okay. So I could lure you into doing something with Queen Nine suited. Right. <laughs> yeah. I think also you are looking to flop bigger and uh, maybe like a big draw or you know, even if, if I was to hit a pretty big flop there and call it like big dogs, if like flop come like five five two, okay, it's not gonna happen very often. But you know, if big dogs did have an overpair there, I think I could I could really stack them and and, and we're definitely both deep enough for me to have the implied odds to, to kind of to see a flop and try and hit a big flop there. Right. As okay. well as the fact that an ace could be good. So, um, so the flop comes. Uh, there's about 14k because um, you call and 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 Panda had called. Um, and the flop comes five three jack with the five of spades, jack of spades. Which Casey, you had the queen nine of spades, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. I found fortunate that I ended up didn't getting this all in on the flop, like doing something and just completely tooling out. So. Right. Um, because I mean, I, I think what happens is I bet, correct? Uh, yeah, it's about fourteen k in the pot. Um, Panda checks, uh, Ben checks, and then Casey, you make it sixty eight fifty five. Right. And then, and then um, Panda folds and Ben calls, right? Yeah, right. I mean, I was see, thinking about raising that. To be honest. See, if Ben raises, there's a there's a really good chance. I'm just like, yeah, whatever, Ben. I'm all in. <laughs> <laughs> Your hand has pretty good equity there, and I can't really. Call with a jack, like right. Let's have ace jack. I think probably prefer check, check calling with ace jack to be honest with you, rather than, than getting it in there because I think well, you, I'm going to fold out so many so many of your so many of your hands if if I just kind of check ratio on the flop. I much prefer check raising my sort of hand with like ace five, and it's not really an information raise. It's more the fact that my hand is kind of susceptible. I'm going to give myself some pretty tough decisions, and right. if I was to check raise you on the flop there, it's pretty much because I, I think you're going to be c betting like 100 percent or close to that. Um, and you're obviously not going to connect to the board, you know, as hard as you have done every time. Um, I mean, it was a really good just call because, like you say, if you do raise, I probably blow you off the pot. Well, the thing is, though, in that case, yes, but at the same time, um, you know, if you do call that, it makes some give me some tough decisions playing the pot position. Um, you know, unless the turn improves my hand. Uh, right. So I think I was fortunate there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you, you do check call. Um, and the turn is the five of hearts, so um, it, there's two fives on the board now, which uh, Ben has ace five. The pot is 28k, and Ben, you check, you know, because I'm, you know, we assume Casey's going to continue the betting lead. I, I think that's probably why you check, right? Um, yeah, pretty much. I mean, I know he's pretty much going to continue with like any jack, and he's, he's I think he's probably not going to pot control jack here. He's probably not going to put me on a five very often. Right. Uh, and as Casey said, I think he thought I could be floating at a decent sense of the time as well. Right. Um, so, right. So, okay. So it's 20K, 28K in the pot. You check the Casey. He makes it 
19k pretty much approximately and it's back to you ben so now what are you thinking here with the three of a kind what's what, i'm what's thinking I, I mean if i if i if i rewrote him here mm-hmm. i think I, I give him a good chance to be able to hero fold if he does have um if he does even have a jack i think i'm basically saying okay now i've either got a huge i've either got a draw and i'm turning my hand to into a semi bluff right or or i've got a five here and i think i could have a five quite feasibly there from from the blind so I would rather kind of not turn my hand face up and, and polarize my range. I'd rather just check call and, and see if... I, I was pretty sure if he had a jack and the river was a blank, he was still going to fire anyway. Right. And if he missed his draw, um, if he missed his draw, then I think he was probably going to fire again the third time. Uh, or perhaps even as a bluff. So I think I think what by check calling there, I was actually trying to represent like spades or something there. Uh, and maybe kind of check race him on the river and, and try and get here a call from him and, and, and try and make my hand look um, look kind of like a weak line there. I think if right. I check race the turn, I'm, my line is just way too strong and, and kind of turning my hand a little bit too face up. Right, and everything you get value from, um, he's going to probably bet for value anyway. Because, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I, think, I mean, he, I'm giving him a chance to play pretty perfectly if I check race a turn there. I think if I, if, I, if, I, if, the, river, if the river comes favorably for me... Um, and he has he has a big hand, there, and I think I can stack him on the river. So now Casey with Queen Nine suited, um, if he had checked raise you there, what, what are you what are you doing there? Is the pot big enough for you to make a play for it, or are you just going to give up? Um, depending on how deep we are, I might have actually shoved. Right. Because pretty deep. I, yeah, because um, like my logic would have been, I'm doubting he's raising here with a five. Right. Um. So he's just trying to, you know get some information or, or or whatever the case may be. So I might have shoved. I might have just given up. I, I really would have to put myself back in the exact situation and see how I was right. feeling at the time. But, uh, yeah, I'm really not sure because I could have won either way. So now he he does just call. Um, so now we go to a, 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 a river with 65K in the po- 66K in the pot, and, you know, you're still about 96K deep. And, Casey, what are you thinking now with, with him flatting? You know, even before the river comes, he just flatted you. You know, he's, we're clearly putting him on something here. Are you putting him on a five, five and only a five, or what are you, what are you thinking? <laughs> well, the, I, I was so off on this hand, it was unbelievable. Because when I, I believe the the river action goes, I bet, and he raises, correct? Uh, you, you check. Uh, he checks to you. Yeah. Um, and then you make it twenty-two. So first off, okay, let's let's start let's start with with that. Ben, um, the check there. With with the, the the main hand, what do you think in there? Um, as I said, I'm just trying trying to give him a bit more room to to barrel again. I think if I lead into him there, uh, I think he's he might just call with a lot of the hands, mm-hmm. um, call with a lot of the hands that he was going to bet with anywhere, and perhaps I could check raise him and even get more from him. Um, and at the same time, I think if I bet there, he's and he and he has missed his draw, or he's just completely bluffing. Um, I would have expected him to, to barrel. Uh, whereas I might be missing his treated value there. Do you miss value from like eights? And, do you think he calls you with like sevens, eights, or nines? Definitely, but I don't think he barrels the turn with those hands. Okay, so, there you go. That's the piece so, of the puzzle I was missing. Yeah. Okay, cool. All right, so you do check, and then Casey, so now it's to you, and it's 65K in the pot. There's only one way for me to win now is, right. to, is to barrel, so I don't like giving up. <laughs> <laughs> Never surrender. Uh, <laughs> that's, that, that's Casey's uh, uh, mode there. And so you bet 22K into the 65K, and then um, I'm watching Ben right now adjust his slider for his, his raise. <laughs> and he decides. You know, <laughs> he makes... I, I was so far off on this hand, I'm like, 
I wonder if he has spades. <laughs> I could just <laughs> shove here because on the turn, yeah. I thought possibly he had spades. He was trying to kind of make it look like a draw, and I, I'm like trying to convince myself that's what he has. I'm like I literally <laughs> considered. I'm like I'm just gonna jam it in here because right. I, I like I think he has spades. And at uh, at one part in the action, I'm like if he has a five here, I'm like FML, like <laughs> whatever, and. And then, so I was like trying to convince myself that he missed spades and I was just going to stuff it in. But then I'm like, I thought better of it. I'm like, okay, he has it here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He makes a 62 K and you do, you do make a fold. <laughs> Is there any size that could have induced something from you, Casey? No, it, I mean, not really. It, it's kind of like when I bet the 35K, it doesn't look like there's fold equity there, but it is. Right. There is. And I kind of felt like that, like that's what he was doing to me. Right. So <laughs> although, you know, he, like there wasn't a lot of fold equity if I do shove. If he has absolutely no hand, he has to fold. Right. right. Sure. So, yeah. No, I there think was... actually with an ace high flush draw on the flop, I might have actually been looking to get it in. Yeah. Uh, I might not have just check called, so... Cool. I definitely could have had worse spades than that, like a king high flush draw or something. You were in you were uh, in the big blind, so like you could have had like any suited connection. Sure, yeah. I think what I did was try to get, you know instead of, instead of check shove in the river, I tried to make my hand look a little bit more drawy and just check raise, kind of like give you a little bit even just a little bit of room to just jam it in with a bluff. <laughs> uh, I think if I just check shove there, uh, you you can obviously never come back over the top. Right. Uh, right. Even if it, even if you it don't, almost worked because it, it definitely yeah. went through my mind. I'm like, I know he has spades. I obviously, know then <laughs> obviously then I know you've got like jacks full or or a bluff. But I mean, I guess you're gonna have a bluff much much more often than jacks full. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Yeah, that was that was a great great hand. Um... Oh yeah, it was real great. <laughs> I have to say, I, I have to thank Pogostas for that turn card because. <laughs> Well, shortly after Casey gets to extract his revenge, um, and he gets a pre- pretty hardcore in the next the next hand. So, about twenty six minutes into the same video, uh, part five, part six, um, we are now at twelve fifty twenty five hundred, and Casey is now in the big blind, and Ben is in the hijack. Um, but we're now seven handed. Um, so there's, you know, less, less players there and, and Casey has about 92 K to start 93 K to start the hand. Um, so we're still, you know, relatively deep. Um, and Ben has 154 K to start the hand. And I, you know, you, you are the chip leader at the table and it's folded to Ben in the hijack. Uh, he, he has ACE six suited and he makes it 56, 25. Looks like a pretty standard open size. Um, and any thoughts here opening into Casey's big blind with the A6? Pretty standard there. I'm, guess, I'm guessing you're not going to like if he three bets you, but can't obviously pass that, that spot up, right? I too much. I just snap jam him and... Yeah. Nah, <laughs> 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 okay. <laughs> I love it. I could have imagined analyzing this hand seven years ago. It would have been way different. Yeah. <laughs> um, so Casey flats. Um, the pot is 14K. And we and, and so Casey has threes here, by the way. Um, and Casey, any thoughts here? Just flatting with your threes, right? You're not gonna. You well, know, I wasn't really deep enough to set mine, and yeah. I believe I even said on the video here. Um, I feel like I could have the best hand here. I'm not necessarily flop dependent. Um, if it's like a flop where I like the texture, I might decide to just you know get real frisky with my threes. Yeah. 
But as it turns out, it's a pretty good flop. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's, I agree with you there. You know, you know, you're not just set mining. I think you can you can represent a lot of hands if you play well post flop, and you could turn your threes into a bluff a lot, or even make a, a good hero call if you, if you can play good post post flop poker, which obviously, obviously right. You can, and I tried to stress that on the video is I don't think this is a good spot to be flatting to try and set because yeah. at less than 40 big blinds, you know, we're deep in a tournament. I don't really want to be just calling all the time and then folding when I don't hit my set. So I, sure. I wasn't necessarily set mining. I had some other things involved. But when you do hit your set, then obviously that's best case scenario. Right. Well, um, so you let's see here. Uh, you it's three, four, six. Um, so it's obviously, you know, quite a, quite a wet board here. It, it's got three, four, um, of the clubs and six of hearts. Um, so Casey checks, I believe here. And then that's 6,500 into the 14.25, uh, pot. Um, so Casey, you're checking here, obviously with the super strong hand, um, Ben has the betting lead. You want to let him take a stab here and I just feel like he's probably going to be C betting like 95 to a hundred percent of his hands. Um, I feel like obviously I have the best hand now. So yeah, I'm just going to let him do his thing. Right. And so Ben, you, you bet 66.2 K. Yeah. It was kind of, I mean, if a flop top pair there with three, four, six and he's defending, I, I thought I'm going to have the best time there. Like. Almost 100% of the time. Right. Uh, unless he's flopped something really huge, which I didn't really see him defending there with like 5-7. or I'm not even sure. I think he could have been. But I, I think he can stack off with like way worse hands there, just knowing that I'm going to be C-betting every flop there. Right. Um, so I was kind of surprised when he check-raised, and I didn't think he was repping much. Yeah, he did check-raise to uh, 15K. So so you didn't think he, he was representing much. Um, you called. So now we go to a turn. Um, 44K in the pot. Casey has 72k behind. Um, so, so Ben, the call there on the on the on the so flop. It was, so it was three, four, six. Um, I think he could be doing that with draws. Um, I think his, you know, that sort of flop doesn't look like it's hit my hand particularly particularly hard unless I've got an overpair. Uh, and you know, it's not a particularly dangerous flop. So, I guess we do know now he has pocket threes, and I'm quite surprised he check raised the flop there because I think he can fold out a lot of my hands. But I guess in turn then. He can kind of make me continue and maybe maybe float off that that flop with you know without a hat and try and look to outplay him a little bit later in the hat. So by check raising, he's really he's really built a nice pot there. And, um, right. Um, and so many of your pairs that are in your range are you're, you're still going to feel comfortable with, right? Sure. I mean, it, yeah. yeah. Well, that's part of the reason I did check raise is. I thought, even though you know it was a cutoff and we were only seven-handed, if he does have a, a, a hand like eights or yeah. or something like that, there's going to be a lot of turn cards that could scare the action. Where if I raise here, he might just decide to stop them. Right. Exactly. Right. Right. That makes a lot of sense. Okay. Yeah. And, and so your bet size in the turn was pretty big, right? Yeah, it was. Okay. So let's go to the turn here. Um, it's the Jack of Diamonds. Um, and it's Casey's first to act. He's got 72K behind, and he bets 32K into a pot of... Uh, so at this point, I really thought I'd probably have the best time. I mean, I, I thought if he had a jack, he wouldn't, he wouldn't kind of commit himself there. I thought his hand looked so much more like a draw with, like, good equity on that board and just trying to commit himself. Right. Um, so I was really, really surprised when, when, I, when I got it in. I was behind there. Yeah, I think you, uh, I think you put it all in, right? Yep, you raise all in. And, and... That's the stage I've got to, really. I've got, I've got to decide at that point, have I got the best hand or not? Uh, you know, I can't just call and then fall to a river if, if I don't like the river. You know, I've got to decide then. Yeah. 
And I thought he could have even a worse six or, or you know, like a big, like a pair and a combo draw a lot of the time. Um, I was really, really surprised to see he had a, he had me drawing dead there. Yeah, Casey, I bet you broke your arm trying to get the rest of the chips in, right? <laughs> yeah, I was pretty happy when the action played out the way it was. Right. Um, it didn't matter, even if I don't bet the turn, I think it all gets in on the river, given right. the fact what the river is. Yeah, the river's a six, yeah. so, yeah. yeah. But uh, I didn't figure uh, – I figured I was going to make my bet really big on the turn because I was, like, I, uh, trying to make my hand look like it was kind of vulnerable because there's not a lot of jacks in my range when I check-raise the flop. Right, right, mm-hmm. right. So I was kind of making, trying to look like I was kind of, like, worried about the hand and hope that he was just going to, like, make a huge move and, and it worked out. I mean, you kind of committed yourself there. So in turn, it, it kind of means for me that if I if I don't have – you know, if I have an ace high or, or a particularly weak hand there, uh, I'm never going to be jamming you. So, so in that respect, uh, it, it wasn't particularly ideal. But in this case, where I actually did have a hand, it worked perfectly for you because... Well, I could never imagine you opening my big blind without a hand. Uh, exactly, and I think that jack could have, <laughs> could have improved me a lot as well. Um, so your bet size was really perfect in this situation because it did just make me scratch my head and think there's no way... He, no way, he's he, he's, flop, he's he's kind of got there on the turn here, and um, and obviously I thought I was good on the flop anyway. Um, interesting. I was thinking about checking back, and sometimes I do check back. Um, that sort of flop for a bit of pot control. Just uh, I just didn't think it was quite quite wet enough. I think if it was like more like something like six five four uh, instead of the one gapper, I might have been a little bit more inclined to do that. I'm not sure. Cool. Okay. Well, um, so unfortunately for Ben, Casey extracts his revenge. Um, and they're, they're per- say nice hand, big dogs. <laughs> <laughs> unlucky, pal. Unlucky. Well, I mean, that's also, I guess, Casey, you know, the advantage, another advantage to why, you know, playing aggressive and having the image that you have works is because you can't assume Casey has a set there when he plays the hand that way as you could for tighter players or, or someone who's not as creative. Definitely. It- uh, a big advantage to being aggressive is when you do actually get a hand, you usually get paid. Yep. Yeah. Um, cases, your aces get paid much more than mine. Uh, my aces do get paid off quite a bit, <laughs> and they also get cracked a lot. I run really bad. <laughs> <laughs> All right. To say that. Yeah, especially after uh, flopping a set, you have to tell us that, right? <laughs> Balance it. Okay, so um, so we'll move on to the next hand, and that hurts Ben a bit. Um, he's still got about, I guess, uh, you know, 25 big blinds or so. Um, he battles back a little bit, um, gets sticks around. Um, Casey continues with a relatively big stack. I'm not sure. You lost some chips here along the way, Casey, as we, as we get to the next hand. That we're moving now That's to part. That's how we do it. That's how we do it. <laughs> we go up and down, right, until, yeah. uh, until we make the final table, and then we take them all. Um, we are now at 2-4. We move on to part seven of the series. We're at 2-4, 2,000, 4,000. Uh, ben, you have, uh, you have 80K, so you have about 20 big blinds. Um, Casey has here 145K. And Ben is in the big blind. It's folded to um, Casey's, on the, Casey's on the button, and it's folded to the cutoff. Seymour aces. Um, is he a reg? Do you guys know him? Yes. Okay, he so so he opens. So I guess we can, can assume he's opening wide. And Casey, you flat with sixes. Yeah. Right. Okay, and so, um, you know, uh, seems, yeah, I guess. Uh, again, uh, I, may, I mentioned I'm not flop dependent. Right. Um. I think we were seven-handed, right, or six-handed? 
No, this is a full this is a full table. Yeah. Wait, he he raised from where? He raised from the from the cutoff. Yeah. yeah. So I'm like I'm just gonna flat here and then reevaluate where where I am yeah. and, and yeah. see how it goes. And we saw you. I mean, you got position, and we saw what you did with position in the first hand. Against, right. There's a very similar spot. So, um, so Ben, uh, sorry. So Casey flats, and then Ben, you have eight ten suited the diamonds, and it, you're in the big blind, and you're with your eight ten, you, you stick it in there. So I'm I'm curious. Uh, I mean, I kind of I kind of love it. <laughs> um, is that a, was there any thought there, given the people that are behind? Um, I mean, I, always, I, I know that Big Dogs is kind of 99% of the time there. If he's got Big Hand, he's going to be three-betting and looking to get it in pre against, against Seymour. Right. So, I mean, he's, if he three-bet the button, he probably wouldn't get much respect for a big... But even if, even if Big Dogs did three-bet the button, I was probably even more more, more inclined to jam. Right. Um, because there was, I think when, when you do make kind of like three-bet and four-bet jams... Uh, you've got to look at your stack and, and how much there is in the middle and how much reward there is to the risk. Uh, so I saw myself with 80K and sort of like 25, 26, uh, 28K in the middle or something. Right. Um, so I saw there was quite quite a lot of uh, reward there. I can kind of improve my stack by like a good like 30% if, if I get through, uh, which I thought I was going to get through quite a lot of the time. Uh, I was kind of only worried really about Seymour, and I think even his calling range, eight ten suited, does doesn't play too badly against that. Yeah, I was just uh, going to so ask. I was going to ask you about that. So, so can you talk a little bit about why eight ten suited is 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 a choice here? I mean, is this better than ace ten? Would you you know or ace jack or you know given? I wouldn't say it's better. Right. Um, it's a little bit different. I think you're going to have live cards against uh, against a lot of his, his range. You know, his calling range is ace king, ace queen, ace jack. Um, obviously, if he does have a monster, well, uh, it's better than having an under pair. But at the same time, uh, you know, again, I didn't. Kings wasn't really the hand I wanted to see, to be honest with you, when right. he did jam. Um, I think, I think, obviously, um, having kind of ace ten ace jack there is is going to be better in the long run um, because I think you're going to be flipping much more often. They might be calling with sort of eights and nines more often. And your hand might be a little bit more dominated with 10-8 suited there. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's definitely a hand that, hand that can really, really improve. Obviously, it's huge connectors, and it's going to be live a lot of the time. Right. Um, I think I had just about the perfect stack, and it stacked to be able to make that move. Uh, and, and hopefully, uh, it was more about the fact that if they both folded, which I was pretty sure Casey was going to fold, mm-hmm. then I was really going to chip up pretty nicely and, and take down a nice bot. Right. Um, so I would have done that with a pretty wide range of hands, kind of ranging from like maybe even like baby connectors to like five four suited or something, mm-hmm. uh, which kind of plays similarly because um, I don't expect him to be raised cool in there with like fives or sixes anyway. Right. Um, all the way up to you know probably like pocket deuces, all the way up to if I had like a really big hand, uh, I probably was just gonna like min three bet in that spot and try and induce. Um, right. I was. I think also like speculating there, even though I did only have sort of like 20, 22 big blinds, it wouldn't be terrible with 8, 10 suited in a three-way pot. I think it is a hand that can flop big. Right. Um, but in this in this case, I did I thought the optimal play was just to jam it there and hope they're both folded, which I thought was going to happen a pretty high percentage of the time. Yeah, that I was going to ask you, is it is there a play there to flat? Um, given that you're coming out of the big blind, you, you know. it's a little a little bit too speculative, I think. With my stack, if I have thirty bigs there, yeah. I'm going to be flatting. Because uh, I only there. think he has only nineteen bigs, doesn't he? I think I have a little bit more. I think I have like twenty, twenty-one though. 
Yeah, he he start. Uh, I think he has seventy nine k. So he's just under twenty bigs yeah. after he's put after in he posts the, the big. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I think flatting there is a little bit out of the question. I think if I had thirty bigs, uh, you know, there's not quite as much incentive to shove because it's a little bit a little bit more to risk compared to reward. I think right. flatting there. I'm not going to be many hands I'm flatting there with. Um, but after raising the call, and I don't have their ranges particularly strong, uh, I don't think it'd be too bad then seeing a flop with with suited connectors there with ten eight suited. Uh, I think a little bit a, on the spec side, but I think it's a pretty bad shove. I only play aces and kings. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, it's a perfect spot to squeeze shove. I, I love to play. Yeah, brilliant. Yeah, I, I was gonna say I like I, I'm. Like when I saw it, I, I thought it was sexy. <laughs> I was like, "This is it. This is this." Like I, I would do, I could break my arm off doing this, and I want to just gauge. Am I is it just way too aggressive to just like be looking at this and thinking this is the perfect spot, or or is there any thought here? And so it sounds like we're just kind of saying, "Yeah, this is a great spot. It's a great spot for it." So I think even if they know that, they still can't look down a hand like sixes or sevens and, and probably call it because they're probably. You know, the best can be flipping anyway. So yeah, I I had sixes and I said if Kid Cardiff jams here, I'm just going to be folding. Right. So uh, he's absolutely right. If you have a hand like that, you're going to fold. Right. Yeah. Even if you might suspect kind of like it's going to be a squeeze here, um, you know, I don't think there's awful lot you can do about it unless you actually have the big hand. Right. Um, I yeah. think if I was like 30 or 40 bigs deep. Um, on a really aggressive table, and, and big dogs are three bet that button. I think that'll be a pretty perfect hand to, to go ahead and four bet shove. Mm-hmm. Uh, with that sort of with that sort of thing, it'll be a little bit more a little bit more in the pot than if big dogs was to three bet. Uh, a little bit more incentive than if you did have a thirty or forty big blind stack um, to go ahead and make a, a really big four bet shove there, rip a big hand. And as I said, eight ten suited often doesn't play too bad against the calling ranges, but it's okay. not something you, you know. I would say it's an automatic spot. I think it's. Something where you know in these in these, in these aggressive hundred rebuys, uh, you can't just wait around for aces and uh, and sometimes you've got a hood flat with queen six off or four bet <laughs> or four bet big hand. <laughs> right, because I think that's a good sort of tie back to the very first hand we talked about is that it's about situations, not necessarily about cards. Um, here, I think we're, we're you know we're happy and, and lucky enough that if we do get called, we have some we have some outs. Um, and fortunately for you, you well, unfortunately. Seymour Aces had kings, but fortunately for you, you hit a, a flush on the turn, um, and you took a huge pot. Uh, he flopped the world. Ten high flops. Yeah, flop. right. That's true. Yeah, he flopped the Two diamonds. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I did feel a little bit dirty, but I thought, well, I've taken a few bad beats. Yeah. Already, so I, I wasn't too worried about that one. I thought, well, you know, if I was to bust then, I'd have to shut the video down. That'd be really boring. <laughs> I know when I did suck out on him, king, queen to queen, queen, he mentioned it like six times during the video. So I think he was <laughs> secretly pretty mad at me. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're only one tabling, you know, you, you've got to find a little bit more to talk about. So I think uh, that's probably why. <laughs> Very good. Well, I think... Um, we're up to part seven now. We're going to release this podcast today. So I think uh, those, those are a good, good bunch of hands for strategy. Um, I don't want to give away what happens the rest of the, the series um, right now. So I think, uh, I think those are the hands we'll cover today. Um, but thank you, guys. Thank you. We're all lucky you, you both decided to turn on the recorder at the same time. I think we have to try to coordinate that uh, in the future because um, I love this view. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. And, uh, like, I don't even watch a lot of the videos, but I've watched this series just yeah. – 
because like I was interested in a couple of hands that he had against me. He yeah. did own me in one hand pretty hard with uh, King Ten when I folded the best hand on the river. I'm glad we didn't cover that hand. <laughs> <laughs> we, we can go back to it if you like. <laughs> but yeah, it's a lot of fun when you're and and you know it's, uh, playing off that. The actual table was a lot of fun. Yeah. You know, like it was a good table with getting Daisy and hit the panda. Yeah, it was. A- Really it, was, it was like just a good atmosphere. So. It's a long yeah. video series, but I think we can really benefit from watching it. And it's something I think that starts off okay and just gets better and better and better and more exciting. So I really yeah. do hope the, the viewers of TPE do go ahead and finish this video series. Cause it's gonna yeah. be, it gets, it gets, I think it gets better every part. Yeah, and I won't spoil it, but I will say the final table is part of this series. So we'll just stop there. We won't say what, what happens there. All right, sounds good. Cool. Great. Thanks again, guys, for joining us. We really do appreciate it. And we'll uh, and Ben, we'll try to get you back on the uh, the podcast sometime in the near future. Okay, sounds good. Cool. Thanks, All right, well, we'll, uh, we'll take a quick break here, and then we'll come back and wrap things up on the Tournament Poker Edge podcast. Welcome back, everybody. Special thanks to Kid Card of Six and to Big Dog Pocket Fives for joining us for a little strategy talk. Uh, definitely um, interesting to hear them go into even more detail on some of those hands that we got to, you know, got to see a sneak preview of in the uh, in the video series. Yeah, that was that was fantastic. That was a really good strategy session. Yeah, I enjoyed it for sure. I mean, it's, it's just rare that you get to hear um, perspectives from, you know, we, we get to hear perspectives from multiple pros all the time, but not when they're actually in the same hand yeah. playing against each other. So yeah. I thought that was cool. It was fun to hear like how they perceived each other's ranges and, you know, how they changed their style based on who the other person was. I, yeah. I think they genuinely had a good time playing at the same time. I, I, I think they actually enjoyed it. I think, I think they thought it was like fun, fun poker, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's fun when you make a deep run with your buddy, right? So it's like, absolutely. You know, like this year at the and, World yeah. Series, right? Where a couple of us will be at the final table. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, so for anybody who's ever been worried, like, oh, there's two TP pros at my table. They're probably soft playing each other. I think this you know, will dispel all. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I don't think there's that. I think they probably went harder against each other than they would anyone else. Yeah. <laughs> Funny. Yeah, I thought it was a, just it's been an amazing series. And I think it was it was cool to hear their, you know, like I said, some deeper perspective on it. But it. It's, it, I wish you could capture this sort of lightning in a bottle more often. Yeah. Like, it's not something you can plan for. Right, you know, exactly. You can't be like, hey, let's all play this tournament and hope that we make a final table together so we can tape it. Right. <laughs> I guess we could play a sit-and-go. Yeah, true. <laughs> so what did you take out of that? Like, anything specific that you, that you took from that? 
Well, I, I think you summed it up pretty well in the strategy discussion, and, and Casey kind of um, elaborated on it a bit uh, about in certain situations when you play a hand, I think it was the queen six hand. Uh-huh. He said it just doesn't really matter what your hand is. Right. It could be seven deuce, it could be queen six, it could be you know ten three. Like the the hand doesn't matter. You're playing. You're simply playing a move, and you could have not even looked at your cards. Right. If, if you're playing a situation then your cards are irrelevant, the flop is irrelevant, the turn is irrelevant. That's a dangerous bit of information, though, right? You can't just assume that. Like, you have to be able to read players and understand situations well, too. So you (laughs) you can't just play every hand as if it's queen six off. Um, Right. You know. Yeah, it's it's about making a story, you know, like telling a story and making sure that story adds up. Well, I think um, Ben mentioned Annette 15, right? And I think Mm -hmm. there's a story of Annette. um, She played a 180, you know, on PokerStars with her whole cards covered the whole time. And she, yeah. she won it, and yeah. she basically used everything but her cards as far as information right. goes, and that tells you how important it is. You know, I mean, obviously your cards are important, but um, the value of the other elements of what makes the dynamic what it is, uh, yeah, important. So that was, was really neat. Yeah, well, we've mentioned before how good of a post flop player Casey is, and it's pretty obvious if you've ever watched his videos. So. You know, I think, like he said, he doesn't necessarily advocate playing queen six this way. Right. Um, but you know, that, but I think taking opportunities to try hands like that, maybe in lower buy-in tournaments or just in, in special situations, like you're, you're really only going to get good at doing that kind of stuff by trying it. Right. You know, well, I think also not, that's why people recommend you play some cash too, right? So you get that post-flop right. experience. Yeah, and and they were you know they were so deep. You have to be deep, which is you know it's rare that you. I mean, except the early stages of a tournament that you could get your stacks that deep. Right. And, uh, you know, like it, I think he he summed it up pretty well, and that the, the situation was just kind of perfect for it. Yeah. You know, the positions, the stacks. Yeah. Um, you know the way that the game dynamics had been up till that point. Yep. So yeah, I thought it was really really interesting. Yeah, and I think I think. Casey has a lot of respect for Ben, too. I mean, I'm sure he respected him before this tournament, but I think after playing with him a while, he's got a lot of good things to say about him. I think it's yeah. a great addition to the roster. Yeah, I think there's a lot of mutual respect yeah. there, for sure. Yeah. And you can kind of hear it in their in their talks. Yep, cool. Well, so, so uh, go check that out at TPE. Yep. Yep. And uh, speaking of TPE, what do we got going on over there this week? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think this is the prime... Um, What's on stage right now? Uh, we did also just um, start a Turbo Coop main event live sweat series from Danny N13. He he made a deep run in the Turbo Coop um, main event, and he was recording live. Um, and so Danny's videos are always well received, um, and that one's out right now. Um, and we have some um, some new articles. Uh, Dow J has been writing a lot of articles for us. Uh, he just did one on moving up stakes um, from going from low to mid to high and the adjustments that you have to make, the different types of opponents that you'll run into, what they're doing. Um, so that's been a, a, a neat article. And then he has another one coming out next week, um, which may be out by the time a lot of people listen to this, uh, which is on the typical reads, you know, certain, certain things that you can observe at the table and how to read them and assumptions you can make about the player based on that. So, you know, Daryl writes pretty, you know, his videos are in-depth. Um, their advanced strategy, his articles are pretty in-depth and advanced. Right? He's not the kind of guy who just takes you know, a topic and writes a, a very broad overview. He, he digs into topics very detailed. So that's, what, um, that's what's going on there. Um, we talked about the World Series Poker Circuit event, a lot of excitement about, about that. Uh, so we'll all be there. And we have two TPEers, TPE pros returning. I've already, if you listen to the podcast, I've, you should have picked up one of them who's on his way back to make a video series, and we have another one coming too. 
uh, coming back, another very well-received um, pro. So, uh, so I'll just hint at that and leave it at that and let you know that those, uh, those videos are on their way as well. So Great. Yeah, good stuff as uh, usual. And yeah, and like I said, looking forward to seeing everybody up in AC. And, and as you said uh, in the in the beginning of the podcast, if if anybody is going to that, make sure to hit us up or, or just check the thread in the forum about it and uh, and let us know. And, and we'll hook you guys up with some breakfast. And and then you know it's always cool too just to hang out on breaks, and talk cool. hands, yep. and and, uh, and then when we bust, we can all go console each other and <laughs> <laughs> deal. <laughs> Done. Cool. All right, well, we'll wrap it up. Uh, thanks again to, to Ben and to Casey. Really appreciate those guys coming in, and uh, we'll be back here in a couple weeks on the Tournament Poker Edge podcast. Take it easy, everybody. Love nobody. Carry my, carry